0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, today is Father's Day, and uh, it kind of hit me something. I guess this is kind of pretty late in life for this to have hit me, but, um, you know, one of the, we, we, in, the in the prayers, we, we refer to Hashem, Hashem in many different ways. One of them is, uh, uh, you know, Av uh, Father of Compassion, you know, Avinu Shabbat our Father in Heaven. So, um, so anyway, we can all thank God today. (laughs) I mean, somehow connecting Father's Day with God, it's that, my brain never made that connection before, but that seems to be a fairly obvious association, right? So, so, uh, so every, uh, when I was growing up, whenever it was Mother's Day or Father's Day, my parents would, without fail, always say, Every day is Mother's Day. Every day is Father's Day. So, how much more so if we're giving thanks to God? Every every day is is you know a, a, an opportunity to give thanks to God. So, so um, but I think maybe it gives him pleasure if we can sort of like find ways, more ways to 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 thank him. So, so maybe that's a good thing. Um, I want to talk about uh, two two main themes right now, which is um which is success and ambition. And, uh, and I want to put it into a, a certain framework, um, which is um, the fluidity of life and the fluidity of the, the present moment always. Um, and th- this will make more sense as we, as we, as we uh, go further. Um, and also, just as a, a launching off point, um, this is uh, Parshas Karach. so to connect it to Korach as well, because Karach, we know, led the rebellion against Moshe, against Moses in the mm-hmm. desert, and um, basically his, what was his deal, you know, it, it, uh, on the surface level, it seems like he was hyper-spiritual, and felt like the idea that there should be any seed of authority, um, was antithetical to the reality of the world, which is that all of us are basically equally holy. So the idea is, if we're all holy, then who are you to call the shots? Right? So, but there is a structure to the world, and there is a prophet who God gave these instructions to in the presence of all of Israel, in the presence of millions of people. So, so... So there is a structure, and, and we talk about it many times, that the structure that you see in the cosmos on a, from the subatomic level to DNA in humans to you know the, the exact recipe of oxygen and nitrogen in the atmosphere, there's, there is a structure everywhere we look. And so there is a structure to revelation as well, and that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Nonetheless, there is an amazing challenge that Karach presents to it, which is, I think, probably in in a lot of ways, the most modern voice, modern meaning contemporary, relevant to, you know, what we see in newspapers and magazines today in terms of our present um, culture and zeitgeist, Um, Karach really is the voice of the spiritual generation who says, who are you to say that this is the way to serve God when we're all holy? So this is, this is, this is, um, really worth addressing, you know, and, but, but when we look more into the personality of Korach, see, one of the things that we all have to know for our own personal lives as well, is that when you get challenged by someone and when you get, um, criticized by someone, or even complimented, by the way, by someone, you always have to ask yourself about the source, where it's coming from, you know, and, um, Just as a, just one tiny way of illustrating this, it's a a larger point, but I'll just give you a tiny illustration of this. Um, My father had a hernia for decades that he didn't, he was, for whatever reason, reluctant, afraid, whatever it was. He didn't want to have an operation on his hernia. And the doctor was advising him for many, many years, you know, you don't have to have an operation on your hernia and everything like that. And finally, my father was advised by another doctor. He took very seriously, no, you really have to have this taken care of. And so, late in life, he had the hernia fixed. And he found out that the doctor who had been advising him for, I don't know how long it was, 10, 15, 20 years not to have his hernia fixed, he himself had a hernia that he wasn't fixing. (laughs) And it's, this is, in other words, you have to know when, when, when someone is telling you, you know, you're doing this, that, and the other thing, who is that person exactly? Right? Is that person connected? Does that person want the best for me? Does that, Is that person working out the same flaw? Or covering up the same flaw? Right? You know, there's a, an amazing headline. I just saw it um, this morning. Um, Michael Oren, who is the um, Israeli ambassador to the United States. And and is now a parliament member in, in the um, Israeli... Knesset, the the Congress of Israel, is um, just written a book that's that's going to come out in a couple of days, talking about his experiences with, you know, representing Israel in America and with Obama and everything like that, and he 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 psycho he psychoanalyzes Obama, and he talks about how the his Obama's father who's Muslim and his stepfather who's Muslim, the fact that they basically as a as in his youth severed relationship. Severed the relationship with young Obama, that that created a a psychological need within Obama to be accepted by 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 that world. Now this is not me saying this. This is Michael Oren, who is the <coughs> Israeli ambassador to the United States, and who who dealt with him and dealt with the you know American administration for for years. Just fascinating that he would actually. It's like you know they say in all the sitcoms, "Don't go there, don't go there." He, you know, he went there. He just outright <laughs> psychoanalyzed him, you know. And there it is. So, and in other words, again, where? See, it, I, I had an experience. Um, I was invited to be in the audience. I mean, uh, at a uh, at the Wiesenthal uh, Wiesenthal Center, they were having um, they were presenting peace awards. They had all these different panels and. It was the most eclectic, amazing group of people, like panel after panel. Um, they just bring up these people on the stage, like, you know, a parliamentarian from, from Japan, and then they'd have, like, the mayor of some place in the Ukraine. And then it was just, like, all these, like, you know, it, just a, a very surprising mix of people. And they also had a, a high-level diplomat. And he, to me, stood out. And he was, he was amazing. He's been held hostage four separate times in his life. He was threatened directly to his face by Saddam Hussein, that he's gonna kill him, you know, and then was escorted out into the hallway by Saddam Hussein's, one of his henchmen, who later on surfaced just recently as the number two man in ISIS, who he said looked at him and he'd never felt like a human being was prepared on the spot to literally with his own hands, Tear him into pieces. Right? Can you imagine being with another human being who you felt with confidence could literally grab you and tear you into pieces? That's how, that's how he felt. And he resurfaced. That man resurfaces like a decade and a half later as the number two man in ISIS. Right? So, okay, so what did he say? He said, You don't make peace with nations, you make peace with people. This is, this is a very important thing for all of us, actually. You know, We're not international diplomats, but we're constantly dealing with bureaucracies and organizations. And you have to understand that they're run by people. And so if you, a lot of people like, they, 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 they think that they're dealing with the organization, but you're not dealing with an organization, you're dealing with people within the organization. And, and this is a very important key if you want to be successful. So 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 Korach Korach the rabbis give us tremendous insight and if you look into the Torah itself you see the evidence of this Korach was being very very spiritual on the outside and had you know like the more like the the Meshalech and Rabbi Wolfson bring that he genuinely was spiritually motivated and was trying to bring Mashiach to give you an example, it says the Navi says the prophet says that that um, that when Mashiach comes, the Leviim are going to become Kahanim. So there's just going to be a general kind of escalation of spirituality, right? So that means that the the tribe of Levi will be who are not the actual people who run the Mishkan itself, the Holy Temple itself. They assist there. But the assistants are going to become the people who actually do the offerings. Okay, there's going to be an upgrade. So, so, Korach, who famously was a Levi, but he wanted the job of being the top Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. He had his eyes on that position and wasn't happy that he didn't receive it. And the Berdichever Rebbe, amazingly, says that had Korach not done what he did, if he had refrained from leading this rebellion, and just been sort of happy with his lot, that there was a promotion that he was going to receive. He was going to become the Levi Gadol, meaning to say there was going to be, the, 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 just like there's a coin Gadol, there was going to be the head of the Levium as well, and he was going to receive that post. But because he just basically started complaining and causing a rebellion, not only did he not get that, but that post actually never came down into the world, which is, you know, an amazing insight, that there was something waiting for him. He felt he was deserving of something, and in fact, there was something waiting for him, but he blew it. But what you see here is, um, on, on the more positive side about him, that, that as as Rabbi Wolfson brings, that he... Basically, he wanted to bring the end of days. So he, as a Levi, by becoming a Kohen, would be sort of enacting that prophecy that the Leviim are going to become Kohanim, which is a sign of the end of days, right? So in other words, he, he was trying to do something very positive according to this, right? But with most great people, and with most genuinely tragic figures, you have a whole mix of emotions. In other words, they're not all bad, they're not all good, and then the the, the sort of the more limited aspects of their personality get behind the driver's wheel and they take over, and then all of a sudden the person's greatness becomes undermined. This is what we're all trying to avoid in our own lives. This is why halakha is so essential, because halakha allows the positive side of ourselves to stay in control. This is this is the importance of that. You know, this is why this is why we have to be really careful with ourselves, you know. So so Korach Korach's need or desire for honor undermined him. And 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 then became the motivating factor. And so, so when we see When we see people who talk about how um, we're all spiritual and we're all holy, therefore, there can't be any rules. There are no rules. We have to analyze where is that really, you know, just on an aesthetic level, just on a philosophical level. It's such a beautiful thought. It's so resonant, right? But we have to know where is that thought coming from and is it true, in fact? Right, And then we get a little bit deeper into his personality and we find out, oh, he wanted a position that he didn't get and he wanted honor that he wasn't receiving. Therefore, he wanted to undermine the entire structure, which was keeping him in a low place. And how does that manifest itself? All of a sudden, oh, everybody is holy. Now he gives himself the promotion because he, gives his, he gets rid of the entire existing order. You see, it's all—it's—it's—it's very—it's very subtle, but these little subtle changes have big, big ripple effects. So, so Karach ends up really becoming a, a, a very, very, very tragic figure. Um, the 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 Gemara says something very, very interesting. It says it's it's sort of a related thought, but kind of um kind of the opposite of it. It said that Jews who, um, who went to houses of idol worship, right? that basically, why were they going to houses of idol worship? Because that's where the pretty girls were hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't actually believe any of that stuff, but they wanted to hang out with the pretty women. Right? So, so again... A lot of times it's, it's, it's sort of like you have to find what is the thought behind the thought. What is the, what is the motivating factor? I, you, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a writer, so I, I you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll read a script or something like that and there will be big problems with the script. And, but it's not so easy to figure out what's wrong with the story, you know? It's, it's, it's all a muddle, it's all very, very complicated. And, and it takes a lot of thought to sort of, like, figure out. And sometimes you never figure it out, by the way. Sometimes you never fix it. Um, so, one of the tricks that I, I learned, um, uh, that I try to do, is... Let's say I don't have time to, to fix the script, or, or to, to, to begin the process of it, right? So I'll say, oh, and I'm very tired, so I'm not going to get any work done, right? So then I say, well, wait a second. So I'll read it in the morning. But then I know that this is true. If I read it at night, then my subconscious mind has the whole night to think about it. And, you, you know, you you, it, it's solutions are going on even if you're not conscious of it. And then when you wake up, you have the benefit of a whole... Um, whole variety of thoughts that you wouldn't have gotten if you read it fresh in the morning. You know? So I was trying to explain this to my uh, 11-year-old daughter, and, I re- and as I was driving her to school, and I, re- I said, so your unconscious mind, and then I, I stopped and I thought as I'm driving, she's in the back seat, do you know what the unconscious mind is? And she <laughs> said, no. And I was like, wow, this was a, like such a wonderful opportunity. Wow, I get to explain the unconscious mind to, for the first time to someone. It was really great. I was so excited. So I said, you know, I like, could say you're at the beach, right? You know, you'll see like people swimming in the water and stuff like that. You'll see rafts and boats. And she's like, yeah. I'll say, but there's a lot going on under the water that you can't see, right? So that's the conscious mind and what's going on under the water. That's the unconscious mind. And there's a lot going on there. And a lot of times what's going on above the water is triggered by what's going on below the water. And so you have to figure out what's going below the water too. And she was like, okay, she got it, you know? So, so a lot of times we have to figure out, you know, what's what's motivating someone, what's motivating us. You know, this is why the whole path of kutsk the Kutzkar Hasidim, the Kutzkar Rebbe, was so awesome, was so just beyond. Because Kutsk was all about, why am I doing this? Before I do what I'm going to do, before I say what I'm going to say, why am I doing it? Why am I saying this? Is it is it for my own honor? You know, like I once realized that sometimes when people extend their hand to shake someone's hand, really what they're doing is they're, they're giving the other person the opportunity to shake their hand. <laughs> In other words, usually you extend your hand to shake someone's hand. It's a way of giving honor to the person, right? But really, a lot of times I've seen this. I've, I've observed it with my own eyes. People put out their own hands so that I'm giving you the opportunity to give me honor. Right? So you have to, a person, if they want to be real, right? They have to know, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? You know, and then you have the opportunity not to say it and not to do it or to clarify what your intentions are inside and then really to be able to do it meshem shemayim for the sake of heaven instead of just self service so with these things in mind i want to um i want to go further i want to go deeper so this is something I've been thinking about for a few years, but I wasn't able to really kind of nail down a thought on it, but, but now I have something to present. And this will just kind of get us on the road to what I want to talk about, about success and ambition and things like this. So Karach, Karach begins with the letter Kuf. And Kuf, Kuf is a really interesting letter. Kuf, according to Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsberg, who's a great authority on the letters, Chuf um, is actually composed of two letters, the letter Resh and the letter Zion, right? Like if you just look at it and you were just guessing, maybe you would have said it's the letter Chaf and the letter Vav, right? But no, it's the letter Resh and the letter Zion. Now that's that's interesting. Now that's, that's what Rabbi Ginsberg says, now this is now me talking, okay? Which is, that actually spells a word, which is kind of interesting. See, everyone says that the letter Kuth stands for Kodesh or Kadusha. That means holiness. Okay? Um, we have Kiddush, right? Kiddush when we sanctify the wine. We have Kedushin, which is the sanctification of a, a man and a woman getting together, right? So Kodesh, we say Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh when we talk about. The holiness of Hashem. So, the letter Kuf means holy. That's what it stands for. Um, So, isn't it interesting that it's actually composed of two letters, Resh and Zion, which spell the word Raz, which means secret. Right? So, what's that connection between secret and holy? See, Hashem is infinite and we're finite. That means that Hashem, as we advance... See, but our souls are a piece of Hashem. But just a piece. You see, no one... As Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, no one sees my face and lives. Meaning to say, if Hashem is the entirety of all existence, there can't be another entirety of all existence. Which means that anyone who interacts, or anything that interacts with Hashem we'll never see the entirety of Hashem because only Hashem is the entirety. So only Hashem, so no one sees my face and lives. No one can see my face because his face, metaphorically speaking, in that context, means the entirety of Hashem. So angels are quantumly higher than us. They're spiritual creatures. We have physicality to us. So they see a radically higher revelation of godliness, but that's still a subset of God. Someone was asking me, just over Shabbos, he said, you know, you've made this point several times, and and I have, because I love it so much, that the word for olam, meaning world, in Hebrew, olam, the the root of that is is elam, ayin, lam, and mem, which means hidden. Mm -hmm. Right? So, in other words, why is the word for world hidden? Because God is hidden in this world. Now, a very important next thought, you can't had that thought without this thought, which is that God is equally present in this world as he is in the highest spiritual realms. It's just concealed. But he's no less present in this realm than he is in the highest realms. Right? So he said to me, so we have, okay, that's great for this world, zeh, but we also have, could talk about ba. so haba." Is God hidden in Olam Abba? Isn't the whole point that God is revealed in Olam Abba? But it goes to the point that I was just making earlier. Yes, Hashem is radically, quantumly higher, more revealed, but still that's only relative to how we see Him now. Meaning He's more revealed than now, but He's still not fully revealed because He's never fully revealed because no one sees Hashem's face and lives. Meaning to say that that it says in the kedusha of Musaf, where is the place of his glory? The angels themselves ask, where is the place of your glory? Meaning that even the angels, who are quantumly higher than us, don't see the full picture of God. So even in Olam Haba, there's still that level, relatively speaking, of concealment. So this idea that kedusha which is symbolized by the letter Kuf is composed of the letters Ration Zion which spells out the word secret because the Kedusha the ultimate holiness of God remains a secret and even though we have a piece of God within ourselves which means that there's no end to how high we can climb right? That's still just a subset of God's infinity. You see, a lot of people, when you talk mathematically and you say, oh, um, tell me about infinity. Well, I'll say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and it keeps on going. Right? It never stops. That's infinity. Okay. That's good for third graders, right? But But someone who knows a little bit about math also knows that there are irrational numbers between 1 and 2. And that there's an infinite sequence between 1 and 2. Maybe... A whole lot of sequences that are called quote-unquote irrational numbers that are infinite sequences between number one and two. So you have therefore what's called levels of infinity. It's not just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then on to millions, billions, trillions, you know, whatever. Between digits you have infinities. So we can have a piece of God within ourselves, but that's like the infinity between one and two. Then you have the ultimate infinity, which is God. So in other words, there's no end to what you can achieve spiritually in this world. Because you have an aspect of God within you, which is infinite. Which means there are ever higher levels to climb. But that aspect of infinity is just a subset of God's infinity. Which is way higher. And can never be met face to face. So again, Karach, Kuf, Kedusha, Reish Zion, Raz, secret, it remains a secret. It remains a secret. We can never fully know. One of the greatest things I ever heard, Tova Mordechai um, described, described her spiritual experience, she was born Jewish but didn't discover that she was Jewish until later in life and it was actually a uh, a minister in this sort of radical Christian uh, sect that um, you know sort of like she, she if you can find her, her uh, description of it it's one of the most thrilling fascinating things I've never, I've ever heard um, and um, anyway she was she had risen to a you know a certain Place of leadership um, uh, before she found out she was Jewish. And um, she had this moment where one time she was about to give a, a sermon, I guess, and she was looking at her bookshelf and she had to pick a topic and she said, I already know all of it. And then she thought to herself, You know something? If I know everything there is to know about God, something's wrong. You know? And, and she was right, she was intuitively sensing the fact that this was a spiritual dead end. And of course she finds out later on from her uncle that she's Jewish and it's a whole adventure story, really. Um, so now let's get further into this. The idea of the never-ending path. Because that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make, that the path is never-ending. The path is never-ending. So now let's get back to this idea of success. So it came to me that a person should never ask themselves, are you a success? Never ask yourself the question, are you a success? Ask yourself, am I on the right track or am I on the wrong track? I'm going to say that one more time because I'm condensing a lot of teachings into this one simple statement. Don't ask yourself, am I a success? Ask yourself, am I on the right track, or am I on the wrong track? Okay? Let me tell you why that's a very meaningful sort of teaching for me. Because it's distilling all of life into process. That makes all of life process. See, you know, famously, and I'm not trying to pick on former President Bush or anything like that or make fun of him, but to give a, a, a classic example from recent history, you know, he was on the uh, aircraft carrier and he was announcing the victory in Iraq, in the Iraq War, and there was that famous, infamous banner that said, mission accomplished, right? And everybody knows, you know, how bitter an irony that was, that that war was to drag on for years and years and years and years. And the truth is, it's still going on. It hasn't ended. It has not ended. And so here we are, like, you know, maybe a decade or more later, and he had declared mission accomplished. See, the thing is, is that, Nagon wrote to his children, beware, what you laugh about today, you'll cry about tomorrow, and what you cry about today, you'll laugh about tomorrow. See, life develops, and it develops, and it develops, and it develops, and we don't know, we don't know. So the idea that today I'm declaring myself a success, okay, you know, Mm. mazel tov, so talk to me in five years. Talk to me in 10 years. You know what? Talk to me after 120, after the Dinsha Mala, after you stand before the heavenly court. Right? Or, let's take it from the other side. Ah, uh, I'm an object failure. So Mazel tough, right? Talk to me in 5 years. Talk to me in 10 years. Talk to me after 120, when you stand before the heavenly court. And then you can talk to me with some level of authority, right? Because right now, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to make of your declaration. I really don't. I think it's meaningless, honestly. I think it's meaningless. The question is, are you on the right track or are you on the wrong track? And if you're on the right track, unfortunately, you can be on the wrong track the next moment. And if you're on the wrong track, you can be on the right track the next moment. That's the fluidity of life. That's the amazing aspect of life. When we talk about, in the davening, that Hashem is making and remaking the world every single moment, that means that there are openings happening every single moment. The person has the ability to go from the right track to the wrong track, but also has the ability to go from the wrong track to the right track. And the person also has the ability to go from the right track to the right track, and the wrong track to the wrong track. In other words, a person has this amazing, ever-present opportunity to either stay within their own path, or to switch and jump to a new path. This is the incredible aspect of the world being renewed constantly. And I have to tell you, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, amazing, amazing teaching. He said, and I'm paraphrasing it, but but the, the point is spectacular. He said, it's, I don't know the exact word he used, but this is the spirit of it, that it's not relevant where you're holding spiritually. Meaning, whether you're very high up, right? You're doing, wow, you're amazing, right? It's like you're like a tzaddik, right? Or you're very low down. It's like, wow, man, get it together, right? That's not the critical point. Listen, he says the critical point is in what direction are you going and how fast, right? Because a person can be way up and and be nosediving in terms of their spiritual connection and observance. Or a person can be way down and be taking off like a rocket. This is the question, not where are you holding as though there's ever, as though somehow, you know, somehow it's over, somehow you cross the finish line, right? Which is an illusion or perhaps a delusion The question is, in what direction are you going? And this is a question we can ask ourselves every single moment. In what direction are you going and how fast? So with this in mind, I wanna give some marriage advice for people who are looking for their soulmates, right? Which is, and I've heard this from a lot of people and it's, um I understand why people think like this, it makes sense to me, but I believe that it's a completely backward thought. So what people I see in my limited experience, see doing, is they want to find someone who is exactly as observant as they are. I'm doing this, you're doing that, I'm doing this, you're doing that. Oh, it's an exact match. But this has nothing to do with anything, because one person can be going up, and the other person can be going down. They happen to have intersected at this moment, so there's this illusion that they're in the same place spiritually, but it's an illusion. The question is, what direction do you want to go in? What direction do I want to go in? Is that a match? Can we grow together? Do we, do we, are we heading to the same place? If that's the case, then what difference does it make if one person is more observant than the other person? If they're both committed to going into the same place? Right, that's what's important. Then they grow together. Not like, oh, at this moment, no, you're wearing pants, but I want someone wearing a skirt. The person <laughs> says, I'm, I'm wearing pants, but I, you know, down the line, I, I really could see wearing a skirt, absolutely. So if you love them, then you give them strength and you get them to a, help get them to a place where they'll wear a skirt. Or the guy, you know, I really want a guy who, you know, does X, but he's not doing X. Would you like to do yes? You know, with all my heart. With all my heart, you know. So I'm not there yet. Well, okay. I love you. I, I, I'll, I'll help you to get there. If you, do you really want to be there? I really do want to be there. Okay, so we'll do it. In time, we're going to do it. You know? And then, you know, and then you, you, you help the person. You don't then say, okay, you know, two dates ago you said you wanted to do this and you check your watch, you know? Yeah. So you know what's taking you. Because then that's not the person, or you're not the person, <laughs> right? Someone's not the person, <laughs> and it could be you, <laughs> could be, you know? So so that that's 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 again it's that's that's the reality of the world that's the fluidity of the world right that, that's what it is and then and then of course you have to make sure that the person is stable and 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 sincere right and is not just you know a flake who whatever is just making sort of a spontaneous heartfelt declaration that they don't really understand what they're saying. Right? The person has to be serious too. So, so now, I want to continue the conversation and talk about ambitiousness. And, and, and again, this is all under the umbrella of Karach. Because Karach was ambitious and he was really bent on success but he didn't, he, he was a little mixed up, you know? So, even if he really wanted the highest, holiest things, then, then he wasn't going about it in the right way by publicly challenging Moshe. You know, even if you want to say that really he was really super holy and everything like this still the way he went about it wasn't wasn't quite right although to his credit to his amazing credit he ends up validating the status of moshe in an amazing way see because what happens is moshe says outright and again you have to understand just how how contemporary and modern day this conversation is he says to Moshe, we're all holy. And Moshe says to him, and I'm paraphrasing Moshe's words, but if you look in the Chumash, this is what Moshe is saying to him. You think I'm making all this up? You think I'm making all this up, right? If you think I'm making all this up, then let's do a test. And and Moshe says, which is an amazing thing, it shows you really how scarily holy Moshe was. I mean, how absolutely... like terrifyingly close to God, Moshe was. He says, stand over there. Get your stuff and stand over there. If something happens that's never happened in the history of the world, then then you'll know, to you, that happens to you, then you'll know that God really made me his emissary, and everything that I'm saying is not from me, it's only from God. And what happens is, in something that's never happened before or since, the ground opens up, swallows them all up, and then closes up. So, I mean, so what's amazing about that is that Hashem didn't say to Moshe, I'm going to bring a, I'm going to bring a, uh, like a form of an earthquake and direct them to stand right over there. And then Moshe says, okay, I'll do that. Moshe initiates this, this challenge. And God, who's, who's like right there with Moshe, does what Moshe says. This is, this is what I find especially fascinating about this. You know? And and again, this is to, to emphasize how close God and Moshe were. Right? So... So when I say that Korach ends up doing something which is extremely positive, and again in the modern day context, what Korach allowed to happen was for Moshe to prove before all of Israel the the validity of the prophecy, the validity of his status. And so, so... Korach does actually end up being, in a way, you know, in, 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 in a way, it's it's kind of strange to say it, but in a way, the greatest student of, of Moshe. Because what, what is the job of a student in order to disseminate the, the teachings of the, of the teacher? Right? So Mo, Korach ends up showing the greatness of Moshe. And again, in, in modern day society, this is perhaps the most important lesson that, 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 that we can give to ourselves and give to the world, that spiritually speaking, it's not a free-for-all. That there actually is a divine order to spirituality in the world. And, and that, remember, it says, God looked into the Torah and created the whole world out of the Torah. Okay, so all of us are God's children, Jewish, non-Jewish, all of us are God's children, and all of us have a share in the Torah, not just Jews. We know that they're the universal mitzvot for, for all of humanity, what we call the Sheva Mitzvahs b'nei Noach, the seven mitzvahs given to all of humanity, which are laws of justice and, and, and all sorts of things, right? So everyone has to have a share in the Torah, and in fact, everyone does have a share in the Torah. Yeah. Okay, so now let's get back to this idea of ambitiousness. So there was someone who I, I there, there was a period of time, maybe, I don't know, 25 years ago, where I was kind of taking all these quick trips to Israel. Like whenever I'd have a break, I wasn't married, so I'd just board a plane and go to Israel, even if it was for a short period of time. And there was this guy who I kind of met on a couple of these trips. And I, I never saw him before. I never saw him since. And if I ever knew his name, I, I don't remember, mm-hmm. you know. But but kind of we hung out a little bit together. And he said something to me that just is, you know, has stayed in my mind. And I was just thinking about this week. He told me we were by the Kotel, um, right, the Holy Wall. And, and he was saying... We were just kind of walking, and he said to me, he said, this is my Seder, meaning this is how he kind of orders his day. He said, I get up at four in the morning, and then I go to the mikveh, and then I daven nites at the kota. That's, that's my Seder. So what's, what does that mean, daven nites at the... So, so the holiest prayer in our davening is, right, the Amida, right? That's the, the, the Shemona Esrei. And there's a way that, um, you know, they have calendars that are extremely exact. um, And there's a way to to know, like, to time it, so that right as you're entering into Shemona rays you're, you're taking three steps forward, that at that moment, so as you take three steps forward, at that moment, the sun is just rising above the horizon. And that, that is the like the ideal form, the ideal time to pray. Right? And, and if you go to places that have a, a Nates Minion, they have a, a, a clock, right, where the you know the prayer leader, the chazen, is is, and he's pacing the prayers so that he's hitting that moment exactly. Right? So, so anyway, then he says to me, he says. But the Sahara, meaning the, the negative inclination, right? The one that wants to sort of stop us and undermine us. He says, sometimes the Sahara comes and stops me from going to the mikvah, right? But I'm still able to get to the kotel uh, for nates. So then he said to me, he said, from this I learned something. And now I'm sharing you the lesson that he shared with me. He said, if you only have one thing you're trying to do, the Yitzhahara will often knock it off. But if you have two things that you're trying to do, it'll knock off one, but it'll leave you the other. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, that always stayed with me, because it, it sounded like kind of kooky when I heard it. Like, I didn't, like, really wrap my mind around what he was saying, you know? Like I said, he said this to me something like 25 years ago, you know? But it stayed with me. And then, this week, I had an experience, and and it it was like, yeah, what he's saying is absolutely right. I I'm I'm, I'm working at sort of like a, kind of like a nine-to-five type job now. And then, I go home, and then I've got another project, which is, also a full-time project, and basically by the time I get home, I'm I'm am I'm, I'm completely exhausted, and I don't have the 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 acuity often to really be able to do the next one. You know, you force yourself, and you know, you make progress, but there's sometimes when you just you can't do it. Right now, I came home this week, and I had work that I still had to do from the 9 to 5 job and work for the next job. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'm really tired, I'm really tired. You know. So I get out of the chair and I say, okay, let me just at least do the 9 to 5 work. And I got that one done. And then I went to sleep. And then I remembered what he said. You see, listen very carefully. Because I had two things to do, I did one of them. If I had only had one thing to do, I wouldn't have done that at all. I would have just said, I'm tired, forget it. See, now don't think, don't think, oh, well, if you did that one thing, if you had only one thing to do, then you would have done it. That's what I'm telling you, I would not have done it. (laughs) That's the point of what I'm telling you. I would not have done it. I only did it because I had two things to do. That's the only reason why I did the one thing. If I had only one thing to do, I wouldn't have done it at all. So this is my recommendation to you to be ambitious. You have to have more than one thing that you're doing. You see? But then don't misunderstand me. Because the rabbis talk about someone who grabs a handful of sand... And all the sand goes out of their hand. That's the imagery that the rabbis provide for someone who's being overly ambitious. If you're overly ambitious, then you then you leave with nothing. But if you're smart about your ambition, and you do like just what you're capable of, or maybe just maybe even slightly more, push yourself, then you'll have success. So I want to wrap it up and just kind of put it all together, just kind of review for a moment. Don't ask yourself if you're a success. Ask yourself, am I on the right track or am I on the wrong track? Because all of life is process. The whole thing is process. When you're looking for someone to marry, Ask yourself, are we heading in the same direction? Not, am I an exact, at this exact moment, are we doing exactly the same things? Understand that God is infinite, and we have a soul which is an aspect of Hashem, but that's a subset of His infinity. Like the infinity between the number one and two, but then you've got the ultimate infinity, right? Right? And that that journey never stops. It doesn't stop in this world. And then it doesn't even stop when we're pure souls, rising ever higher within Hashem. And that's just like Hashem is Kodesh, right? That's the letter Kuf, which is the letter Resh and Zion, which spells the word Raz, which is secret. That ultimately, there's always going to be this mysterious aspect, this unknown, because we're always on this journey. We're always on this journey. And don't don't make the mistake of thinking that ah oh, now I've now I've achieved it <laughs> because that's the greatest indictment against yourself <laughs> and something which is in in Perkeavos and it's haunting it's absolutely haunting they talk about a coin gadol who was like in his 80s I don't know how old he was he was at the end of his life and he became a heretic Can you imagine a coin guddle at the end of his life? And then he became a heretic. So if you think you're done, think about that guy, right? You know when you're done, when it's sort of like you're saying, oh, hi, Hashem, (laughs) that's when you're done. Before that, you're not done. You might be weaker, and it's like, wow, I'm like, I used to be able to do so much, I, I can hardly do anything. You know, I'll tell you something, when my mom was, Hashem should bless her, when she was really at the end, and she, you know, I'm talking about her last days, she was in bed and in hospice, and, you know, I remember walking out onto the street on Broadway, right in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side, and seeing some really old women being like, who they look like. Oh my goodness, these, they, you know, you look at them and it's like, yeah, they look like they're at the end. But I thought to my, I looked at them with new eyes. I said, my mom can't get out of her bed. These women are dressed and they're out and they're on Broadway. right? Maybe they're being wheeled, but, you know, relative to my mom, that's that's pretty good. So... As long as we have a a breath of life in us, we're not done. We're not done.